It was a few years uh, back. A few years back, there was a movie that came out of a man who was betrayed by his wife. He was betrayed by his friends. And then he was betrayed by the law. An innocent man was put into a prison called Shawshank. And in that prison, he began to fight to try to understand his own life. And to try to understand, is there any beauty in a world of betrayal? And there's a scene in this movie where he is going through some albums that were sent to him and he came across an album of some Italian women singing opera. And he began to play them and locked himself in the office and broadcast them over the entire prison loud system. These two Italian women singing to one another words that no one in the prison understood and yet the prisoners found it the most beautiful thing they'd ever heard. They finally kicked in the door and Andy Dufresne was handcuffed and thrown into the hole, which is solitary confinement for two weeks. His friends could not believe this mild-mannered man who used to be a banker would do such a defiant thing, and so they couldn't wait to talk to him. So when he came out, he met them at dinner, and this is what happened.
Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Say what to Neil. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you. And finds you well. Your friend, Andy. If you haven't guessed already, uh, we started a series last week uh, on the book of Colossians, and we're talking about hope. We're talking about the role of hope uh, in our lives as a community and as individuals. And last week we talked about framing our lives, a hope that wouldn't happen. (laughs) We talked last week about framing our lives with beauty. That hope is the beauty in which the gospel frames our lives to give us life, to give us faith, to give us love. And uh, to be quite honest, when I got down last week, uh, it's funny because a lot of times um, the Lord gives me these messages in technicolor. And when I get up to speak, it just seems like I'm speaking in black and white. And uh, I wasn't really sure that you guys were grasping it. And I wasn't sure I was grasping it, actually. I thought, you know, how many of us actually get up during the day and go, man, I am framing my life with hope today. How you doing? And so I was in Starbucks the other day and the guy behind the counter was just, you know, he was, he was way ahead of me as far as caffeine consumption goes. And so he was just light on his feet and he was going, hey, how's it going? And I was, I was like, not good. And you're not helping. He goes, really? It's not a good day? And I said, so far it's not a good day, but I have hope. And uh, it was just funny to watch his reaction. Try that sometime, all right? Because people don't know how to take it. Because we don't know how to take it. So I thought what we need as a community is we need hope with flesh on it. We need to do something this morning that really gives us a context of why this is such a vital, why hope is dangerous, as it was just said in the video clip. So I've asked uh, my wife to come up this morning. Come on up, Renee. This is my wife, Renee. And uh, I asked her if she would come up this morning and be so bold as to talk about our lives together and talk about how hope uh, was something that rescued us. Matter of fact, um, what you're about to hear is how two people... Uh, made a train wreck out of their marriage. Is that appropriate to say? <laughs> While we were getting ready for this, she goes, what's your goal in this? And I said, for you to make me look really good. All right. All right, you're talking to that, sweetheart. And I said, I hope I don't embarrass you. <laughs> you will not, trust me. Well, uh, we want to talk about the first five years of our marriage. And uh, it started... We met at a church picnic. It where? was very sweet. 
We were on a blanket with a bunch of other people. With food in our laps. Okay, all right, okay. You just don't understand this crowd, sweetheart. I, trust me, I know what Rusty's thinking over there, all right? <laughs> we did meet at a picnic, and we left the picnic, and we left the picnic, and what was our attitude toward one another when we left the picnic? We'll never see each other again, or be friends. That's right. Because? Then, because uh, she didn't talk to me the whole time we were there. I was like, she is the quietest woman I've ever met in my life. And she probably left saying, that guy would not shut up. I couldn't get a word in. Still say that. That's it. <laughs> you remember your hope. Uh, it's not in you. <laughs> that's good. You got to talk into that. They should have heard. It's not in you. Thank you. <laughs> You're going to hear more about that in just a minute. So we meet at a party, and we spend the whole party in the kitchen, and then I introduced her to my motorcycle, and the rest is history. Uh, we fell in love, and we got married, and uh, I remember our wedding day, a little bit of it. It was like a blur. Yeah, it went by so fast. And then uh, we thought, how hard can this marriage thing really be? Well, it's a funny thing that, uh, that we learned. Was it the first week of our marriage? Okay. Do you want to tell the story? Sure. All right. Um, I think we uh, spent the first week of our marriage, and I know that I was in tears the whole time, (laughs) wondering what have we done, and who is this person that I have willingly chosen to step into marriage with and know that God has called me to marry. It was a very hard week. (laughs) So I remember at the end of that week, I looked at Renee. We were sitting at this little little table. Literally, it was probably about that big. That's how big our kitchen was. And I said, okay, what is the matter? You remember that? Mm-hmm. And you finally confessed. You said, I'm not sure that there are times that I like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> So here's what's really, and this is, this is funny, I know, but it's, it, at the time, it was not funny, was it? We were not laughing. We, we weren't we saying, were not laughing this is going to be a this. great story one day. No. We, we didn't even say that. We weren't going to tell anyone. That's right. You know, because we weren't telling each other, actually. That's true. You know, let me give you a little history. Because at that table, I was like, all right, you know, bring it. Let's talk about it. Let's just get it on the table. I was ready uh, to go. I had my defenses built up. I was ready to just get into it. See, I grew up in a home where there were no girls, and it was three boys. And I was the middle of two boys. And our basic, I would say our family system was if you want something, if you were the strongest, the most violent, or the loudest, you got it. So imagine us fighting over, back then you only got four channels on the TV. So it was a debate between Bewitched or I Dream of Genie or Gilligan's Island. But my brothers and I would end up in the backyard fighting over who gets to pick the channel that we put it on. Last man standing wins. So I bring that into our home. Renee brings... I grew up in a home of all girls, except for my dad, who was a man. <laughs> <laughs> A quiet man, I might add. And I was the oldest of two. And our deal in family 
was that you don't deal, that you were, you were quiet. And when people argued, I ran and hid. I was not loud and I was wordless, you might say. So here we were at our first argument. I was ready to get into it, not violently, but verbally. And Renee gets up from the table and quietly walks to the bathroom and shuts the door. <laughs> anyway. And I stayed there for about an hour. Yes, you did. I could not understand it. Matter of fact, what we learned that first week was that we really spoke two radically different languages. I mean, it was like a foreign language. I didn't speak her language, and I didn't understand her language, and she didn't speak my language. So we muddled through. We tried to make things work. And then life just kind of happened. We were both in school at the time. And seven months into um, our marriage, we got pregnant with our first baby. Um, Had that baby while we were in school. And every month I said, please, can I quit? Just let me quit. I, I can't do this. And it just got increasingly harder as I tried to study and keep up with school and um, be a wife and be a mother and be a counselor and be a preacher's wife, soon to be. And all that pressure just began to reveal how much I could not do this, but was still trying to do it. Yeah, I was going to school. She was going to school. I was working three jobs to pay for school. Uh, We were passing each other the night. Then we graduated. We moved to Virginia. And we moved into a thousand square foot townhouse. And by this time we had, well, in that next two years, we had two more kids. So we had three kids, thousand square foot townhouse, five people, one bathroom, and a house that we couldn't heat because the insulation in the house wasn't sufficient. Don't you remember? We put blankets over our doors to keep one room warm. It was so cold. So I was busy with a new job. We were busy trying to build a new community. We were living in a new house that was too small. We were trying to figure out parenting. Uh, We didn't have any money. We had to save up to get pizza. Uh, I mean, it was bad. I remember one time somebody dropped off a uh, care package, and it was like brownies with wine coolers in it. And I thought, who can afford wine coolers? That's the coolest thing, you know? So we were poor. And, and on top of that, I thought it would be a brilliant idea if we got a dog. In the fall of Virginia, Randy's dream is to get a little dog. and It, it was a big dog. No, Sadie wasn't big. And she was going to get big. Well, we got rid of her, so how would I know? <laughs> um... <laughs> She was um, a, a little white Springer Spaniel or something like yeah, that. Just something. She was a needy dog. A needy dog. Yeah. And I was a needy woman. <laughs> With three kids in diapers. Three kids in diapers. And I remember in Virginia, it gets cold, people, and it snows there. And, and I know that if you look back in the Guinness World Book of Records... You will find that that winter in Virginia, there was like 7,000 inches of snow. And it broke all records throughout the world. And Sadie, our dog, she would only get in my lap 
when um, I was changing the kids' diapers. She was there with me, and she refused to go outside and poop or pee and go out wow. in the, all this 7,000 inches of snow. You just so, said poop and pee in church. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway. Um. So life was crazy. Yes. And then it turned ugly. Because uh, with all the pressure and stress that we laugh about now, um, we were growing apart. We did not communicate to each other. Uh, We were stressed out and tired. And we began to take it out on each other. Because we had great hope and expectations that this marriage was going to be what we dreamed it was going to be. And hope and expectations in each other. You know, for me, personally, um, I had created an idol out of our marriage. And I had created an idol out of my ability to make her happy. Uh, I thought, if I can just say I love you enough, if I could just make everything okay, if I could just fix it, then you're going to be happy. And I was wearing myself out trying to do that. And guess what? None of it was working. And I was getting mad and resentful. And uh, could not understand why this wasn't working. And it got to the point to where I didn't like this woman I was married to. And my growing up in the home where I did, um, which was, um, I got the message a lot, be responsible, contribute do the right thing, be the right thing, and if you can't be the right thing, then hide it. <laughs> um, I was living in a marriage because I had a man who was um, pursuing me in the way that he was. I I couldn't hide anymore, so I was clenching my teeth with everything I had to continue to hide so he wouldn't be able to get to me. So the intimacy and the hope that we had for relationship was just disintegrating before my very eyes. Because see, what was happening with us, and maybe you've experienced this, life wasn't happening. Life was revealing what was happening. And life was revealing that we both brought very broken hearts and very broken systems and very broken relationship skills into a marriage. And wow, we were beating each other up with them. And I know that we've laughed in here, but I wish there would. There's no way for me to communicate to you the depth of hopelessness when you come home and the person that you're married to is worn out and doesn't like you. And the, and you're walking in and you'd rather get in your car and drive anywhere as far away from this place than walk into this this place you call your home. And that's your family. And we were in ministry. And the pressure of that and not being able to fix it and not knowing what to do. I can't tell you the sleepless nights, the nights of despair, the times of just utter utter tears of beating our fist into the floor and trying to figure out why doesn't this work? So uh, it all culminated in the parking lot of the Fry Springs Country Club which was kind of funny because it was really no country club. It was the beach club, the Fry Springs Beach Club. Just a pool. And it was just a pool. Just like we were calling our lives of marriage, but it was really two people that didn't want to be married to each other anymore. 
And I looked at Renee in that parking lot in a cheap Plymouth van that stunk. And I said, I can't do this anymore. We were five years into it. We had three kids. We had this wonderful thousand square foot house. Minus the dog at this point. Minus the dog. We had to get rid of the dog. <clears throat> Somebody was going to die and it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> and I looked at Renee and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. We reached, the, we reached the end of the road. I said, I've got nothing left for this. I don't know where to turn. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to... I am utterly without hope for the future of our family. And basically, I said, I'm through. And it was reaching the end of um, all my anger and control and just seeing before my very eyes that I could not do this, that... um, God began to bring life into what we felt like at that moment um, and thought was such a hopeless situation. Yeah. And so what does this have to do with us talking this morning? Because hope stepped into our story at that point. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 if you have a Bible. I want you to see something. Because I want I, my prayer is that when you leave today... Because your story, hey, I am actually convinced, standing up here, that your story may not be a marriage. Your story may be something else. Uh, but you are cheating yourself and believing that your hope in you is sufficient. It's not. We, hey, we were skilled. She has a degree in marriage and family therapy. All right? And I, I studied theology. All right, And we made a wreck of our marriage. A wreck. We did everything we knew to do. We used all the skills that Randy and Renee could muster. And we, after five years, we said, we can't take another step. Romans chapter 5. Do you want to read it? Where do you want me to start? Um, you can start. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, you know, we could talk to this whole passage, but we're not this morning. What I want you to hear from this, hope does not disappoint. Because God is pouring out his love into our hearts. And so what I want you to hear is that hope brings a revelation that love is being poured out. I mean, it is... It is just, it is being poured out. And you know, when you, when somebody comes to you and says, please listen to me. If you believe that that person is pouring love out on you, you are more apt to listen than if somebody says, please listen to me and you don't trust them. You know? And so the first thing the Lord wants us to know is that hope allows me to listen because I know that I'm loved. It gives me the courage to open my ears and say, I am in so much pain. I am so discouraged. 
I'm so much at the bottom of the pit like we were in the Fry Springs parking lot. You know, we we could go nowhere. You know, and we heard this. Would you believe that I love you? Would you hope in my love for you? And when we listen, this is what we hear. Let's go to Colossians chapter one. And I want to add to that that what we realized at that moment and when God said, I want you to hope in my love. It was not a feeling that we had. This is something that God was saying to us, and it was a, it was a believe in my love and in hope. That's good. Because uh, in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 5, it says, The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you've already heard about in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. We talked about that last week. Because all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understand, understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned from our brother, Ephaphras, our dear servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now here, listen to this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not, been, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the, with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there are three things that love allows me to hear when I frame my life with hope. I hear will, I hear wisdom, and understanding. I'm running out of... Okay, there we go. So let's talk about this. What does that mean when he says, we pray that you would be filled with God's will? You know, the first thing that it's important for us to understand, this word, to be filled with God's will, that word fill, it's really important for us to understand. It means that, that I, am, I am taken over by it. In, a, in Colossians 2.8, it says here, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. We can actually translate that literally. See that nobody kidnaps you. That nobody abducts you with this false philosophy. So there's this competition that's going on for our hearts. Either the will of God, that we are filled, that we are compelled, that we are controlled, that we are led by the will of God, or we are taken and we're abducted in this empty philosophy based on human traditions. So listen to Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah was 